to Breakpoints, the Society of Infectious Diseases Pharmacists podcast. My name is David Ha, and I am an infectious diseases and antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist at Stanford Healthcare in Palo Alto, California. I have to say that I am very excited for this unique podcast episode where we will be thinking beyond borders and discussing antimicrobial stewardship from a global perspective. And I am doubly, I should say, triply excited to be joined by our expert panelists, Angelique Messina, Head of Antimicrobial Stewardship and Clinical Pharmacy Digitization with NetCare in Johannesburg, South Africa, Dr. Khalid El Jali, Associate Professor at the King Abdulaziz University in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, and Dr. Debbie Goff, Professor of Pharmacy and Infectious Diseases Pharmacist at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center in Columbus, Ohio, USA. Now, this podcast ended up being a conversation, really, between Angelique, Khalid, Debbie, and I. So why don't we just jump straight in? Uh, a lot of folks know of you and of your work and, and, and of all of the great things that you do, but um, I was curious if you could um, kind of shed some light on your background and kind of how you found your way into, I guess, how you found your way into infectious diseases and stewardship and, and specifically um, how you found your way into um, international work. Sure. Well, I've done infectious diseases at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center since 1989. Um, and back then, when I did my training at University of Illinois, you could only do a general residency. There were no specialty residencies available. But in my first job, I found antibiotics were the most challenging thing for physicians to figure out. It was like a cephalospore in a week got released, and you had to try to figure out where you would um, position that. I was the first infectious disease pharmacist hired at OSU. The reason the position was uh, created was because antibiotics back then were the most expensive part of a pharmacy budget. And it was such a fun start to my career in ID because I rounded for about a year with 18 different ID attendings to find out there were 18 different ways to treat the same infection at Ohio State. I'm like, this is a problem. So long story short, we I said, let's create our own customized guidebook. And uh, I just read the intro to the guidebook. And it is like reading, why do you do stewardship? Except the guidebook was written in 1990. So when people ask me, when did your stewardship program start? I'm like, well, it was always there. It was just called infectious diseases. <laughs> and uh, you know, it was responsible prescribing with cost effectiveness in consideration and safety. And how would you say you found your way into international work, Debbie? How did that, oh, wow. how did that transition so, happen? Yeah, you know, I, I teach every resident. When you publish your work, you teach the world. And that's why I published. Um, I published this paper in Clinical Infectious Diseases called The Low-Hanging Fruit for Antimicrobial Stewardship. I remember and that it? Paper, yeah, that paper um, got a lot of press. And so it led to many international uh invitations to speak. And one of them was in South Africa in 2010. And the physician, uh, Mark Mendelssohn, a world-renowned, and Adrian Brink, a world-renowned microbiologist, were the co-presidents of their Federation of Infectious Disease Society for South Africa. So I was a 
um, international speaker at this meeting with, I would say, five to 600 attendees. And I started my talk and said, how many uh, pharmacists are here? And there were two, two that raised their hands. And, uh, you know, it's really amazing. One of them was Dina Vandenberg, who is my dear friend and thought leader in the country. But at the break, I talked with Mark Mendelson, who I really did not know. He was the president at the time. And I just uh, introduced myself and thanked him for the invitation. But I said, how do you see this working in your country without pharmacists? And his answer was, oh, we don't have any trained like you. And that was true. They didn't have a PharmD degree. Their education process, and Angelique can speak to that, is different. But that's where you take a problem and you create a solution. And so I just thought about that. And I said, well, let's stay in touch. And as I flew home on that 24-hour flight, I sat and thought, I know how to educate people. Um, how can I help? Because I really saw the bigger picture of antibiotic resistance as a global problem. Every antibiotic-resistant organism was a plane right away. So I came back and uh, you know, I worked for a large academic university and I looked at grant opportunities and I emailed him and I said, uh, you know, if you can find that pharmacist that I met, which was Dina Vandenberg, um, and put us in touch, I think I and would want to collaborate, uh, let's develop a training program for your pharmacist. And that led to train the trainer and just a beautiful journey. And that program has been duplicated now in many other countries. You know, you can work with pharmacists that aren't infectious disease trained, that don't have our opportunities that we have in the United States for training, but you can mentor them. And Angelique was one of the first uh, for two weeks. It's not like she came for a year, literally two weeks. So when you find dedicated, passionate people with uh, the commitment that it took and literally, you know, she was allowed one hour a day. So their model is very different than ours. But honestly, their success is just something I'm beyond proud of and just proud to have a, a little component of a footprint down there. And look at where it has taken the profession of pharmacy. And, and that led to my collaboration with many, many other countries. Wonderful. Well, I think that's actually a great segue, Angelique, if you wanted to... Um, uh, get into your background as well and your training um, and how you how you got into ID and I think uh, Debbie you already gave some insight into your into your connection into your international work um, but if you could give us some insight into that yeah, sure thank you so much uh, so I am trained as a pharmacist and uh, post qualification um, in South Africa you have to do an internship and then a year of community service. Uh, before you become registered as a pharmacist um, that can practice in the country. Um, and after um, working um, for those two years during my internship year, um, I had the a sort of opportunity of doing a sort of clinical pharmacy rounds with my tutor at the time. And, and really that was the first exposure I had um, to clinical pharmacy um, work. It was a very sort of new um, sort of um, area in pharmacy that we hadn't traditionally explored previously. Uh, and 
uh, during that time of, uh, when reviewing patients, particularly in the ICU setting, um, it was uh, sort of, I sort of gained an acute understanding of interpretation of microbiology reports and um, antibiotic therapy and dealing with uh, prescribers or clinicians that uh, really didn't know what to do or how to dose and um, really what to give their patients at the time. Um, so that really sparked my interest initially in infectious diseases and uh, at the time as well, the South African Antibiotic Stewardship Program was really just uh, being launched in the country. Um, this was back in 2010. And um, I remember attending the first sort of session for that hospital um, with uh, stalwarts like Debbie has mentioned, like Dr. Dina van der Berg, as well as Professor Adrian Brink at the time. And um, they really launched this program to create awareness on antibiotic resistance in the country and really um, educate and train clinicians and pharmacists about the, the problem at, um, and really a call for help and participation as to what we can do collectively uh, better. Um, and then after uh, that, I, I spent some time in academia. I actually uh, lectured, uh, was a lecturer at one of our universities and our pharmacy schools. Um, and during that time, I, I set up uh, some antimicrobial stewardship modules for our pharmacy, uh, for our uh, sort of third year, third and fourth year pharmacy students, um, so that they could get an understanding sort of at a very basic level before they enter the big world of pharmacy post um, the, the university degree. Um, so that they were aware of the issues and what we were facing and how pharmacists could actively participate in that in that process. Um, I then one day got a call from Dina, which I still remember where I was at the time, and <laughs> um, uh, she asked if I would be interested in, in helping uh, the organization that she was working um, at, which is obviously the NECI group of hospitals where I currently work at the moment. Um, and initially just uh, came in to assist as a, in sort of a project management role to help um, set up and project manage the implementation of the, the stewardship program um, across the organization. So I was really fortunate in that sense that I was able to be um, work alongside and mentored by, by Dina and we, we really made a good team in the sense that we, we could implement and set up the, the program through the various foundational building blocks um, and uh, really work with the various pharmacists across the country to uh, execute and implement the stewardship program. Um, so I think sometimes uh, you kind of reflect and, and, and don't really understand how things happened or where you are at the moment, but you really recognize, well, for myself, that um, my passion for stewardship I recognize started very early on and I think through the process and how it's evolved it's really just ignited that further and recognizing the opportunity and impact that we can have at a national level and bringing pharmacists to the forefront in terms of using stewardship to ignite clinical pharmacy services in the country I think was uh, really impactful and um, sort of something I'm currently very proud of. <laughs> and that we were able to achieve. So uh, yeah, that's my story and my, and I think for, uh, for us, implementation of various stewardship interventions across our organization evolved as we matured. Um, and there's always more to, to do. And I think that's one of the, the most 
incredible things about infectious diseases and antibiotic stewardship is that your work is almost never done <laughs> once once you have um, achieved some good outcomes in some low-hanging fruit interventions it's important to sustain those and then work towards others that's um, almost a higher hanging fruit if you want yeah that's wonderful all of your stories are very, very inspiring because you just sort of created a path where uh, maybe there wasn't an, an absolutely clear path uh, from the get-go. Um, so thanks for, thank you for sharing that, Angelique. Um, okay, Khalid, um, I definitely want to hear hear your story, and I feel like you're also someone who needs uh, very little introduction. If anyone follows, uh, what is it, antibiotic tweets, is that right, Khalid, on Twitter? Um, I think you have uh, many, many thousands and thousands of followers. If you could also share um, your story, um, a little bit of your background training, um, obviously how you got uh, interested in infectious diseases and antimicrobial stewardship, um, and uh, how that sort of led to uh, your, your involvement internationally. Uh, hi, David. Uh, I'm really glad to be able to talk with you again. I am very honored to be a part of this uh, group today. So uh, talking more about my interest in infectious disease and some background. So uh, um, uh, to be honest with you, uh, uh, I would be lying if I said that, uh, you know, I, I loved infectious disease from the beginning. It was the opposite. I did not, I did not like microbiology. Uh, now I like it, but you know, the first impression, the first response was, no, I did not like this. It's difficult. Uh, so I did not like it in the beginning. And when I talked with my uh, senior, you know, um, students and uh, some graduates, they told me, no, antimicrobial agents are very important. You're going to see it everywhere, regardless of which specialty you're going to uh, go later. So you, you better, uh, you know, understand it well and study it well. Uh, so I thought, okay, I have to read about it more. And at some point it, it happened. Uh, so uh, I started liking them, the antibiotics and infectious disease, maybe because it's not very easy. It's, 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 it's kind of difficult. That's why, uh, at least partially, uh, it, it make our uh, specialty unique and uh, important. And we found many opportunities uh, to intervene and, and make changes. Um, so first, in terms of my background, education and training. So I, I, I graduated with a PharmD degree. Uh, by the way, it's relatively new in Saudi because we used to have the bachelor before. And then, so I was the third batch uh, which obtained, you know, the uh, PharmD degree. Um, and then after graduation, uh, you know, I became a faculty member in the same uh, faculty at King Abdulaziz University in, in Jeddah. Uh, and then I got a scholarship to United States. So uh, I stayed for seven years in US. And uh, I think, uh, you know, infectious disease, uh, it teaches us that really the world is one. There's no barriers at all. Uh, we are in one, in one uh, you know, village. Yeah, and after, after this, I finally returned uh, back to uh, my home in Saudi Arabia. Um, I know I became a faculty member, uh, associate prof uh, assistant professor in the beginning. Uh, and also I practice in the uh, at King Abdul University Hospital, which is, uh, by the way, just uh, five minutes walking from the faculty, which, which is very convenient. 
And I recently graduated, uh, recently promoted to uh, associate professor. Uh, I saw that. Well. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Uh, so in Saudi, we have, I know this is different um, uh, depending on the country, but in Saudi, um, you can get promoted in terms of the uh, clinical pharmacy status. So uh, you can get, you know, at the end, you become a consultant infectious disease pharmacist. Uh, so also I was promoted recently as well. Yep. So this was my background. I think the later stuff during the work and stewardship, the details, I will leave it later. Yeah, we have a lot to get into with that. Uh, with that. So th thank you so much. Thank you so much, Khalid. I do want to get into uh, something that um, all of you kind of touched on. Um, and maybe, um, Angelique, we can kind of start with, uh, start with you, if that's all right. Um, I want to get into pharmacy training and, and what pharmacy practice uh, looks like at the moment, maybe has looked like um, in uh, in South Africa, and um, and you know, kind of as it relates to uh, infectious diseases and stewardship. You mentioned um, you know your training program, your your experience through your internship, and how um, you uh, uh, obviously have um, uh, you know tons of interest, passion, skill, and knowledge, um, but also. You know, uh, we're very sounds like very fortunate um, to get in contact with uh, kind of the the, the right mentors. Um, but um, can you give us a, a sense of what uh, pharmacy practice sort of looks like? Um, you know, big picture uh, in in South Africa. Yeah. So our, our pharmacy degree um, is run across various pharmacy schools in the country. Um, it is an honors degree, and um, uh, all the pharmacy schools, particularly from a sort of infectious disease and, and a stewardship perspective, uh, got together a couple of years ago, also under the guidance of uh, the South African Antibiotic Stewardship Program, and um, actually embedded a curriculum for stewardship um, within the pharmacy um, undergraduate degree. And so now it has been formally introduced um, as part of the undergraduate curriculum, which I think is quite a remarkable achievement. Um, for the country itself. Uh, then uh, through various um, sort of specializations you could do, uh, there are various uh, current specializations in terms of postgraduate studies and master's programs from a clinical pharmacy perspective, which include antimicrobial stewardship as well. Um, so you could do a, a master's, um, a sort of a master's degree in clinical pharmacy with some modular work that includes uh, stewardship, or you could do a master's in pharmacy by pure research and dissertation, for example, in a topic that um, undertakes stewardship um, criteria. Uh, and then, like you said, initially at the moment, it's those that really want to put their hand up, have a particular passion and need and wants to um, learn more and are more curious about it. Uh, there is a network of pharmacists across the country uh, through various uh, clinical societies like the South African Society of Clinical Pharmacy. Uh, and really they help uh, garner support for pharmacists and put courses together um, and a conference annually um, for pharmacists to connect with each other as well as various sort of thought leaders in the country. Um, and so I think from a pharmacy perspective, there is a lot of support in terms of antimicrobial stewardship awareness and education and training, be it formally or ad hoc through the various societies. 
Angelique, could I just add one important uh, difference? The pharmacists in South Africa enter pharmacy school after they finish high school, where in the US, you have to get a, a four-year bachelor degree. So there is a, uh, you know, they're very young when they come out of the program because they have a shorter four-year, um, they don't have undergraduate degrees. It's, they enter right from high school. So that's exactly, a big and difference. it's definitely more like a generalist um, sort of training, um, mainly focused on um, dispensing services to inpatient and outpatient settings. And I'm just going to add um, something, Angelique, because uh, she's being way too modest about her contributions here. Um, in terms of learning stewardship, so this national study that we have uh, going on for implementation of neonatal stewardship. There is no specific neonatal stewardship training in South Africa, nor really in our country, um, pediatrics, but not really neonatal. Um, part of the uh, proposal we put place was to develop a toolkit that literally is specific for South Africa to teach the pharmacist how to do the interventions, the background literature of which Angelique and many others contributed to the development of this but we physically made a book. Um, this is where you realize, uh, you know, internet access isn't consistent in the country. People have to use their own data plans to access information, which costs money. A physical book is still useful in some countries um, and they can read it. And uh, it was truly a labor of love. And Angelique is uh, one of the co-authors of this uh, national book that is being used now. Uh, to provide that mentoring. And it really was a call to action in their country. So when you look at how do you mobilize more pharmacists uh, to learn stewardship in low middle income countries when there really aren't uh, formal programs and, and that, although South Africa does have some training programs that are phenomenal. Um, you know, these pharmacists literally just sign up uh, to be participants. So they are the future superstars and they have people like Angelique that will mentor them in the country uh, to learn how to make these interventions. It's, it's a incredible uh, model to follow and watch and be a part of. And I, that's really interesting. And I'm just kind of curious from a, you know, when you think about the inpatient versus outpatient setting, would you say that the uh, general pharmacy curriculum would sort of train you for both? Or is there um, any additional pathway that you go uh, that you go through? And I'm just talking about generalist practice here. But um, if you want to work in a hospital versus, uh, say, in a, a pharmacy in the community? So yeah, I think the, the undergraduate degree sort of exposes you equally to both sort of settings. Um, and, and it then really is up to the individual as to where their passion mostly lies and, and sort of where they choose to um, sort of want to work after their community service. Um, so I particularly was passionate in the beginning about institutional pharmacy uh, and chose it because in South Africa, most of our hospital pharmacies have retail pharmacies as well for the outpatient setting. Um, and so I, I kind of thought, let me get exposure to both and, and see um, where I can contribute and make a bigger impact in. And, and that's where uh, I really started finding a lot of passion and love for, for hospital pharmacy as well. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. 
Um, so I want to pivot to, uh, to you now, Khalid, uh, to talk about uh, pharmacy practice uh, in Saudi Arabia, you know, sort of the same, uh, you know, the same thing, sort of what training generally looks like. I know you mentioned earlier that uh, Saudi recently transitioned from, uh, it sounds like an undergraduate degree to uh, a doctoral degree for, um, for uh, pharmacists. Um, curious about that, and then um, you know, for uh, for pharmacists, um, you know, in Saudi Arabia, how do they, you know, potentially get into uh, infectious disease, or if that is a sort of a, a clear pathway? Uh, yes. So, um, um, so in terms of the undergraduate degrees, um, immediately after high school, you can get into bachelor or pharmacy. Um, uh, the PharmD, you know, degree has been uh, increasing, and now I, I believe the majority of uh, colleges uh, they offer PharmD most of the time. Uh, but still, I think few colleges uh, they still have the bachelor degree, and even some of them I think they have bo both. Uh, so the two tracks, so you can get into bachelor or PharmD. Uh, so there is a separation at some point. Um, but yeah, most colleges have PharmD. And, uh, you know, after the uh, PharmD, um, you know, generally when you talk about clinical pharmacy, uh, and by the way, the uh, Saudi, Soci Saudi uh, Society of uh, Clinical Pharmacy, uh, this is a new society, by the way, in Saudi, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, they published a position statement, I was one of the co-authors, about uh, clinical pharmacy uh, definition and uh, uh, the practice in clinical pharmacy and the education and training. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia is unique in terms of the clinical pharmacy because, you know, a lot of people, they got scholarship, you know, uh, outside. So many of them go to U.S., many of them go to Europe, for example. So we have a mixture. So we have, we have you know, people getting, uh, say, a master of clinical pharmacy from Europe and then someone getting a residency from U.S. So we have this uh, mix. Um, so it's not just one way uh, to uh, work as a clinical pharmacist. There are multiple ways. Uh, in this statement, uh, you know, we, st we stated that, you know, for clinical pharmacy, you know, the, maybe the preferred uh, pathway is residency, if possible, and uh, with the PGY2 uh, in uh, the, uh, you know, the, the specialty. Uh, say infectious disease, uh, but uh, there is also another pathway for uh, some people. Some like to go into, uh, you know, clinical pharmacy master master uh, degree or even a PhD degree in uh, clinical pharmacy. I know in US it's mostly residency to become clinical pharmacist rather than you know a PhD or master in clinical pharmacy. But in Saudi, it's uh, you know you have both options. Um, yes, and uh, you know when I graduated, uh, you know we, we didn't we didn't have uh, you know any any PGY two, uh, I believe, and uh, we had very few, maybe one or two residency um, you know programs. So we had to travel outside to get uh, residency, and you know at that time you know um, you know clinical pharmacy were not uh, you know developed as much as today. So uh, I think that in the last 10 years in Saudi, there has been you know, a huge change, uh, progression and advancement in clinical pharmacy. And uh, to be honest, uh, the experience uh, we, we obtained from US uh, has been you know, great really. Uh, I mean, so we are adapting, I think the model uh, of clinical pharmacy, uh, mostly from uh, US and uh, you know, um, 
uh, you will see now a lot of people having residency. You know, those people who, who came back to Saudi, they started, you know, residency programs. So now you'll find a lot of residency programs, you know, uh, you know, um, as a general pharmacy residency program. And by the way, in US, it's called PGY-1. It's one year, but in Saudi, it's two years. So the first year is, you know, mostly hospital pharmacy. And the second year is, uh, you know, mostly clinical rotations. Uh, and after that, you, you have uh, not a PGY-2, R3, because it's the third year of uh, residency. And, uh, you know, the number of specialties are increasing every day. Yes, and actually my program uh, as a PGY2 infection this was just approved a few months ago and uh, now I just started the first uh, residence. Well, that's wonderful, congratulations. Thank How lucky so they must be to learn from you, gosh. <laughs> so is that, um, so is your program, would your program be situated in that R3 year? then? Is that kind of how it would, would work? Exactly. And, and by the way, I forgot to mention that, you know, some programs in Saudi, some residency programs, uh, they are uh, SHP accredited, by the way. So SHP, uh, you know, uh, so, sometimes they do international, uh, you know, accreditation. Uh, some programs elect to, uh, you know, seek these uh, accreditation uh, in addition to the national uh, accreditation. Uh, some programs just have the national accreditation, so it depends. But I think for the fellowship, which mostly in pharmacy is different than physicians, it's focused mostly in research uh, most of the time. Uh, still, it's new in Saudi. I think we just have like one or two just starting, uh, you know, for fellowships. Yep. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. So I want to get into um, all of your practice uh, now. And so maybe, um, Angelique, we can, um, we can start with you. I'm actually very interested um, in your work. Um, we sort of you gave us a, a, a little bit of your you know background and kind of how you've uh, you know moved through things, particularly in the um, yeah, netcare network. Um, but um, I was I was hoping you could uh, elaborate a little bit more for us uh, some of the work you do, um, and then you know uh, some of the um, you know some of the work that you're you're particularly proud of that you do at netcare. Thank you. So uh, yeah, netcare is a a private um, hospital organization across South Africa. We operate uh, over 50 hospitals uh, across the country, um, ranging from really sort of, um, we call them smaller clinics, acute care clinics of about hundred beds to our sort of large uh, quaternary referral centers or specialist centers um, of about 400 to 500 beds. Um, and so I think our journey for implementing our antimicrobial surgery program and a lot of the work that I focused on was really to uh, set up a stewardship foundation. And I think that's where your collaboration with global thought leaders is really important because as we've said, the world is really small and our problems are all shared. Uh, and I think uh, even though others may be more advanced in their stewardship journeys or um, qualifications, et cetera, it's, the, the same struggles or challenges uh, are experienced regardless of where you are in the world. Um, and so I, I think Debbie helped and was really instrumental in, in supporting us and guiding us through that process of how to uh, set up a stewardship program. We created a framework um, that really spoke to getting a pharmacist available in each of the hospitals that could free themselves up for one hour a day, at least in the beginning. Um, 
to, to go and review patients, particularly in the ICUs, um, setting up multidisciplinary collaborations and sort of committees in the hospitals so that a forum could be established for these discussions regarding stewardship to take place. Uh, and then really creating a toolkit for pharmacists to review low-hanging uh, fruit stewardship interventions. And uh, that was really the first sort of um, program that we initiated and kind of created a bundle of stewardship interventions um, that uh, we standardized definitions for and, and really engaged directly with frontline pharmacists to explain how to execute the work and uh, how to approach um, doctors as well as review prescriptions along with microbiology reports etc like I said our qualification by nature is very generalist trained and uh, we are by no means uh, thinking that we're advanced clinical pharmacists um, in this process but there are some things that dispensing pharmacists can do from the point of dispensing in the pharmacy and there's other things that other pharmacists can do uh, during a ward round particularly uh, with a doctor at the time so um, and timeline kind of, wise, when 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 was all of this sort of happening? Uh, so uh, the foundation started uh, sort of, I think, in around 2011. Uh, and it really progressed over a five year period um, where we sort of uh, implemented this framework, implemented the bundle of, of stewardship interventions and then really got pharmacists to collect data of how they uh, executed their interventions. Um, and I would really work like I like I work as the project manager. So really liaising with the pharmacists to understand their frustrations, getting a whole bunch of them together, which is really the benefit of working within a network. Um, to and one pharmacist would say, "Oh, I have this problem," where another pharmacist would say, "Oh, I'll overcome the, this problem by ex doing A, B, and C, for example." Um, so really creating the platform for shared learning. Uh, helped us, I think, accelerate the implementation because it wasn't each individual hospital struggling with the same thing each time. Um, it was pretty quick that we would get feedback on what worked well and what didn't work well and how we could approach the situations better. And then I remember a talk distinctly done by Debbie on how she, she spoke about the, um, stewardship being an art, more than a science in most scenarios. And um, we spoke, spent a lot of time on, on really enhancing the soft skills of pharmacists and how to approach um, doctors in terms of execution of interventions. Um, and because you learn very quickly how you need to uh, pitch uh, interventions to the various different specialities of doctors and which ones that are early adopters and which ones are kind of laggards that you kind of maybe don't want to approach in the very beginning. <laughs> uh, so I think we, we all can <laughs> resonate with that. <laughs> uh, I think that is the, really the work that I'm most proud of, just because of how it really ignited a, a passion in individual pharmacists to do want to do this work better. And um, I think during the five-year period, we had uh, 53 learning sessions, and each learning session sort of happened with face-to-face and really getting to speak about stewardship, reviewing individual data for hospitals, seeing how we can implement improvement methodology um, to drive change within each hospital. And I think that was really unique because it's very seldom that you have hospital-specific data that can really identify the problem in the hospital. Whereas if, if I just did it at a national level, um, it kind of sort of 
the noise gets eliminated because you're aggregating everything. So it was really the frontline pharmacist, the working collaboratively with all the all of the physicians and the clinicians in the hospital to drive the change. And and I think Debbie I mentioned earlier that we were able to publish that in the Lancet Infectious Disease, which has really been such a sort of proud, proud moment, not only for me, but also for pharmacists in our country, which um, we haven't really, and we, we don't underestimate that impact. Uh, and then we did various other interventions. Um, first, like, we also started with a hang time project, ensuring that um, we fix our processes in our hospitals that when a first dose of an antibiotic is needed, we measure the compliance to administering that first dose within an hour. And that was actually my first publication um, that I did as a result of the mentoring program with Debbie. Um, and then we also then afterwards kept building on those. So after our low-hanging fruit interventions, we then moved on to appropriate surgical prophylaxis uh, and really using the same methodology. And as, as our value of the pharmacists were being revealed through the impact they're making in improving antibiotic utilization in the hospitals, so more and more time was allocated to those pharmacists to be able to do additional work. Um, so yeah, I think we are fortunate because we do work in the private sector. Um, we do have, uh, although we are still resource limited when we compare ourselves to other first world countries, uh, we do have a lot of opportunities and systems just in terms of technology that we're able to um, garner. But I think a lot of our work initially was still done using Excel spreadsheets and sort of manually collating and documenting our interventions there. That has also evolved over time in sort of an electronic stewardship monitoring tool. Um, but again, if we never had done that foundation, we would never have been able to uh, have the electronic resources to be able to execute our work further. And I, I, I want to add. Yeah, go I ahead. Go ahead, please, Debbie. Two things to that um, story. So, uh, Angelique's leadership and ability to connect and mentor others uh, really came to light when the CDC called me to, uh, they were uh, assisting in an outbreak that resulted in the death of many neonatal infants in one particular very, very large public hospital in South Africa. And they wanted me to help in that. And I said, you know, I can help, but I'm not South African. You need the thought leaders in South Africa to uh, intervene and, and be present. And um, they had a global CDC. He's like, well, we don't know any of the pharmacists. And I go, well, I do, I've trained them. So I know exactly who needs to lead this initiative and gave them the names of the four and it was quite urgent. And I remember sending an email, um, Angelique was one of them I had recommended. I said, you are now consultants to our CDC. There is a conference call in two days, do whatever it takes to make time to get on this call. And there was Angelique explaining her skill set, and is on a Bill and Melinda Gates grant with the assistance of the CDC as a official consultant and led this hospital through a very, very difficult multi-drug resistant outbreak. And, you know, that to me was just such a proud moment to see um, her in this leadership role. Um, I just put the people together. Uh, they do the groundwork and, and mentored a brand new pharmacist with no clinical pharmacy skills set up the unit, um, worked with a physician who had never worked with a pharmacist, actually just saw them as a barrier because 
the drugs never got delivered on time. And that's a different story. But, um, you know, took a very negative situation and opinion of pharmacists into collaborating on a abstract to the shade decennial meeting that unfortunately got canceled due to COVID. But uh, this pharmacist and physician co-authored uh, this abstract. We It was just an amazing story. And the other one was Angelique's first authored paper on the hang time, which to me was such a low hanging fruit initiative to get pharmacists involved in stewardship without having confrontation with physicians because they weren't um, on the wards typically. You know, they were seen as the people who supply the medication period and would often be questioned, you know, why are you looking at my patient chart? They weren't, the physicians were not used to interacting with a pharmacist. And I could so relate to that because I was the second graduating PharmD class at University of Illinois when I came to Ohio. Ohio didn't even have a PharmD program. So I remember my first job, they're like, uh, I don't know what you are and what you're going to do. That, that was pretty a humbling moment. Um, so South, the South Africa clinical pharmacy journey remi reminds me of my journey when I started clinical pharmacy in Ohio. And so there's a lot of parallels, but um, that hang time project was so successful. I've used that in implementing stewardship in Lebanon currently and in Latin America across nine countries. And can and you it, describe that a little bit more, Debbie, the, yeah, that hang time so, project? You know, when you're trying to take non-ID trained pharmacists and start doing stewardship, it, it's a quantum leap. It's hard. And they can only read so much. I mean, you can't make someone an infectious disease expert overnight. You can mentor and guide, but it does take time. So I really thought, what could they do that isn't going to put them in a confrontational interaction with physicians that aren't used to working with a pharmacist? And it really came back to something I did at Ohio State 20 years ago. Um, there was always... Uh, when you were in the ICU, our ICU was on the 11th floor, the pharmacy was on the third floor, and we were a paper chart system back then. And I would look at, you know, the doctors in the ICU would complain about how long it took to get an antibiotic infused. You know, I wrote this order stat at 9 a.m. and they think the drug just magically appears. But as pharmacists, we know you'd have to pull the paper order. You know, if it missed the pickup, um, we had hourly pickups, it sat for an hour. You could use a tube system and it would jam. And then it would arrive in the pharmacy with all the stat Ducalax and milk of magnesia orders. I mean, there was no prioritization. And then it would have to get compounded and then it would have to physically find its way back up to the 11th floor. That process could take six hours. And so I knew in South Africa or any other country that is in a paper chart system, um, that's going to be the problem. So instead of focusing on is it bug drug matching, which is a higher skill level, let's just start with the turnaround time from when the doctor writes the order for an antibiotic in the ICU to when the antibiotic is actually infused. And I knew that turnaround time would be six hours plus. And that's exactly what it's been in every country we've implemented it. And physicians are clueless to that. And so um, it is a beautiful way for pharmacists to provide value instantly when they present. Uh, we analyzed this 
And you know what I think is even more amazing is there is now a paper that was just published. I think it's an itchy where they actually looked at something that I would always share with Angelique and others when they'd implement this, you know, in the management of sepsis, whatever country you're in, you order a gram negative broad spectrum drug like Piperacil and Tazobactam and a gram positive, usually vancomycin or maybe tycoplanin, whichever country you're in. And I said, make sure the gram negative drug is infused first. So teach the nurses, pick up the gram negative first, not the gram positive. And I always believed it probably made a difference, but they actually studied it. It's published now and it's a CDC funded study. It's brilliant. And there is actually a mortality benefit to infusing the gram negative first. So what a beautiful way to introduce stewardship. So it's a process improvement, you know? And so the doctors actually, they don't even have to be involved. I mean, it's so non-confrontational. You don't need to be ID trained. Just simply ask the nurse to write the time the doctor writes the order and what time they actually infuse it. And then you, you work the process to improve and shorten it. And that was Angelique's first project. And I've done that in every low middle income country as the first initiative, because physicians do know every hour delayed of effective antibiotics translates to mortality. They know that, but they are clueless to how long it takes to get that antibiotic infused. And so, um, you know, that was an amazing project. It works in every country. It worked in my hospital. And uh, it's, it's stewardship 101. It's the lowest of hanging fruit, but it's a really important uh, component because it doesn't matter if you prescribe the right antibiotic, if it's not infused for seven hours, it just doesn't matter. And so what a great way to have pharmacists enter into stewardship. Mm -hmm. One of the lowest, but one of the biggest fruits, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so something I wanted to make sure that we touch on, uh, Debbie, that we've we've uh, talked about several times now, I feel like, um, is the mentoring program uh, that you the South African mentoring program uh, that uh, that you that you had started. Um, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit more insight into that. Sure. When I um, went to South Africa in 2010, I met a very wise woman, Shaheen Metar. She is retired. Um, she was an infection preventionist, uh, global expert, works with the WHO, but she also was a dear friend of an infectious, the head of infectious diseases at Ohio State. And I remember when I went to South Africa, she came up to me and she goes, oh, I've met you. Um, that was a great talk. And I go, oh, you must have me confused with someone. I've never been to this country. She goes, no, I was at Ohio State. I met you there. And that must have been the first year I worked there. And I was like, oh. And so um, as I started working, uh, came back to South Africa the next year, I met with her and I was talking about, you know, writing a grant and that, and she really um, gave me some very important guidance. She said, Debbie, do not give us a hand out, give us a hand up. Don't be that rich American that comes down here with your laptop and looks at shock and awe, like, how do you do it down here? And we never see you again. You come down, you visit, um, you look shocked at, you know, our healthcare system, the, the lack of healthcare providers, and feel sorry for us. We're, we don't want you to feel sorry for us. We are resilient, 
and we're and and I just listened. And so she actually had a train the trainer program for infection preventionists, and you know trained uh, literally anybody in how to do infection control. And so it was like a two page publication in some little South African journal. And I read that and I thought, you know, that's really a brilliant model um, because I don't have funding to train hundreds of pharmacists. But if I train and, and really what her message was, they need to be trained to become independent of you. If they're always dependent on you, the program is not a success. And I was like, wow, this woman's really brilliant. Because if you look at our PGY2 model, that's what I do. I train them to be independent of me. I'm like, you're going up on rounds without me. They're like, well, no. I'm like, no, because they're going to ask me all the questions, not you. No, you go up there, stand on your own two feet. I'm here to hold your hand, but I know you can do it. And that's that's what mentoring is all about. And, and so I followed Shaheen's model. And that was the grant we wrote is I can train four. It was dependent upon how much funding I could get. But those four had to agree to mentor others and Angelique and others, uh, there are several now, uh, have just been um, beautiful role models. And, you know, my mouse, my most proud moment was when I, you know, get this alert, I think it was AAC or JAC of a new publication. And I see it's Angelique Massini on the surgical prophylaxis appropriateness and stewardship and I am not a co-author. And that's when I knew the program succeeded. She doesn't need me. Not that we don't need each other, we still do. But the ultimate success was they can do this without me because that's what every country needs. We cannot um, be the reason the country is succeeding. We can't, they can't be dependent on us. And that's what global work takes. It's like, I have learned so much from every country I've worked with. You know, people think, um, oh, you're coming from wealthy America, UK, Australia, Saudi, and you're going to mentor and teach these low middle income countries. No, when I go there, I have learned so much from them, like how they succeed despite a thousand more barriers than I have. So it's given me a very low tolerance for people in the United States who complain about resources or complain, you know, about funding, or complain about anything. Um, I just don't tolerate it. I'm like, you have no, you know, that is not a legitimate excuse. I have worked in countries that have far less resources, and they are succeeding. So you find a way to get around the problem. Stop telling me it's why you can't succeed. So, you know, I feel I get as much from them, they teach me so many lessons. And that's what makes the relationship a win-win. It, it's never me teaching them and that's where it stops. It's a collaboration that goes both ways. And you also have to respect their culture. I mean, I have learned in every country I go to, I call it um, look, listen, and learn. So I look at what occurs in the hospital. What is their current model for stewardship? I listen to the healthcare providers and then I learn from that. And so many things that I might recommend uh, might 
have to take into consideration the culture. There are cultural barriers that is never up to me to change and that's never appropriate. And you have to learn to respect those in each country. And then you learn to build your model with those culturally sensitive uh, scenarios in place. And so, you know, there's, I've become a much better steward because I work globally, because I see things like I'll never forget in South Africa, walking into Angelique's hospital. And, uh, you know, there's parts that are, uh, um, the security of the hospital needs to be uh, in place. And there's, there's parts like in every country, there's uh, crime in some areas more dangerous than others. So they have a security guard. But you know what, instead of what I would call the US model, you'd have a security guard standing there just looking at people walk in. You know what that security guard also did? You had to use hand hygiene before you could walk into the hospital. That was his job. And I watched this man with such passion and commitment to make sure no one was walking in that hospital without cleaning their hands. I'm like, who was the brilliant person who thought of that? Instead of just standing there kind of bored watching people walk in, um, he's, he's doing hand hygiene compliance. I just thought it was such a brilliant model. And, you know, that's something I will never forget. So, you know, I've, I learned many things from them. It goes both ways. Thank you so much for sharing that, Debbie. Um, I want to move to, I want to move to you now, Khalid, um, to, you know, kind of talk about your work in infectious diseases and stewardship and kind of how it's, uh, you know, how it's evolved over time, what it, you know, what it sounds like. Um, you know, I, I know you gave us some insight into your, um, I just find it so funny that you were not interested in infectious disease um, or the opposite of interested uh, in it to start, uh, which is not what I would have thought, um, you know, kind of seeing where you are now. Um, but uh, your experience with um, antimicrobial stewardship, some of the highlights of uh, some of the work uh, that you do. And um, I was hoping as well, you could talk um, a bit about your, uh, your work as well with the uh, Saudi Ministry of Health also. Absolutely. So um, with regard to maybe I talked before about the background education training, but maybe after I went back. So, uh, I mean, again, I'm a, you know, a faculty member, so I'm involved with, uh, you know, teaching. Uh, and uh, I really liked both combining practice and teaching. And I like to teach from what I see in practice and what I, you know, I really like to teach uh, practical uh, tips, not just information from textbooks. So, and, uh, you know, our specialty clinical pharmacy, you know, I think it needs that. Um, uh, so I think one of the first thing I, I, I did, uh, not, not alone, but in collaboration with my colleagues in the faculty. So uh, we added uh, so many weeks for the infectious disease. Uh, in the curriculum, okay, so it became much longer, uh, you know, and I, I think this is good. Um, you know, I, I think it, you know, infectious disease deserve, you know, uh, you know, more weeks. I mean, um, uh, not only general infectious disease, um, but also uh, we added some lectures specifically about antibiotic stewardship. So now, you know, the undergraduate students are learning what is stewardship, you know, unlike me when I was a student, I, have, I had no idea what is stewardship when I was a student, but now, you know, they learn uh, about it, uh, although frequently they ask, uh, how about the exam, because this is not a disease which is antibiotics 
how will the questions come? You know, it's, but uh, yeah, I think they get it at the end, especially when they come to uh, and, and take rotations in the internship. They finally see it with their eyes and uh, realize the importance of uh, stewardship. And many of them, before they graduate, they like the stewardship part and they want to get more involved uh, once they uh, graduate. Uh, so teaching, again, is important. Uh, internship, I, I like to actually um, take a lot of students uh, um, and residents uh, in the clinical rotations. So um, most months, my schedule is full. I really like to uh, get involved and uh, work with them um uh, you know uh, whether uh, stewardship or a general um, infectious disease um, um in addition you know as i said i'm both clinical pharmacist in the hospital and teaching in the college uh, so it's a combination between teaching and practice and uh, research also involvement with uh, some national or international uh, committees uh, research so when you when you talk about uh, for example um, you know teaching uh, even outside the college. I mean, I like to give a lot of uh, webinars, lectures, workshops. Uh, so uh, this is, I think, on a monthly basis uh, related to stewardship or general, uh, you know, infectious disease or research as well. Um, you know, examples from some maybe international uh, work about, you know, education. Uh, I remember, for example, um, the British Society uh, of Antimicrobial Chemotherapy uh, so they had a TOT train of ten, trainer uh, workshop uh, in Dubai, actually. So uh, they, they had uh, speakers, multidisciplinary pharmacists, microbiologists, physicians, and we traveled to uh, Dubai and you know had uh, you know uh, you know um, uh, pharmacists, physicians, other specialties uh, from different countries. Uh, so we had a large group, and uh, it was uh, I think a very successful event. Uh, it was I think three days. Uh, in addition to that, after after that, so uh, we created an online uh, course in collaboration with uh, BSAC. It's it's online. It's free. In um, you know about the stewardship and uh, you know sharing uh, the foundation, the basics, as well as you know uh, you know a true um, you know or uh, clinical scenarios, uh, real ones, uh, experiences uh, in in different settings. Um, in addition, um, uh, you know, I remember also the FIP, which is the International Pharmaceutical Federation. So uh, two years ago, they started having, uh, I believe, uh, you know, since many years, they have a workshop related to uh, antimicrobial resistance stewardship. Uh, of course, DB uh, led one of those uh, workshops, and I, I attended. It was in Abu Dhabi. Uh, but um, uh, two years ago, they started having this uh, regional workshop online for for you know a different uh, you know uh, region around the world they have a specific workshop for that uh, region so saudi arabia for example it is in the um, uh, eastern mediterranean region so uh, i was invited uh, from saudi with uh, another pharmacist from egypt uh, and uh, this year another pharmacist from lebanon was added to represent this area and uh, what we did is that they requested us to make uh, first a roadmap, okay? So we made a roadmap for our region, okay? And uh, we had some voting, um, you know, from uh, people in the in this uh, region, and then we finalized the roadmap uh, in the first, uh, um, you know, workshop. 
Um, and in, in, in this year, there was the second year, and we followed up on this roadmap. And we, we you know, we mentioned uh, what is the new uh, in, in this uh, region. What did, what did we achieve in this uh, region? And we, we brought examples from different countries and uh, what maybe we need to uh, focus more on. So, um, uh, and also because I am, uh, you know, two years ago, I started becoming the uh, chairman uh, for the infectious disease uh, group in the Saudi Society of Clinical Pharmacy. This is a new group, it's called a PSN. Uh, and, uh, you know, in SCCP, it's called PRN. It is the same idea. Uh, so I'm the chairman of this uh, PSN group. Uh, so, um, uh, so I try to, uh, you know, with, with all the members and the support from the society to, uh, you know, uh, achieve some of these, uh, you know, um, you know, points and uh, plans in the roadmap. So, for example, um, uh, one of uh, the things we notice in our region is that we don't have many materials for uh, community and, and public uh, awareness uh, in, in Arabic specifically. Uh, most of the materials we found, we found online are in English, but uh, you know, why not having something in Arabic uh, to help the public more? Something uh, you know, written well, uh, you know, accurate in information, uh, evidence-based as, as much as possible, and written in uh, you know, um, uh, an, an, an easy way, uh, lay language, um, so we worked on that and we created some materials and we published those materials in Twitter in the uh, Antibiotic Awareness Week. Uh, we, we also uh, had some uh, uh, sessions for awareness. So for example, uh, recently um, in the Antibiotic Awareness Week, we uh, had a, a, a space uh, uh, session in, in Twitter. So in space, uh, you, know, uh, you know, you can have uh, you know, people in Twitter joining live and then you interact with them. Uh, so uh, we had some pharmacists, uh, you know, infectious disease uh, in, in, in this PSN, and they answered the question, ra random questions uh, from the public, uh, because sometimes they have questions and uh, they don't get a chance to, uh, to you know, um, to get an answer from us. So we held the session, it was very successful. Uh, it took uh, more than two hours because we had, we had a lot of questions. And then we said, okay, uh, sorry, we had to st stop. We took more than two hours. You have a lot of questions, excellent questions. And we, we're, gonna, we're gonna have uh, more sessions. Um, uh, also, I would like to mention that uh, as an example for international uh, work in stewardship. So uh, as you know, ACCP, American College of Clinical Pharmacy, they have uh, this global um, uh, conference every few years. So, uh, so I was honored uh, to be a member of the uh, program committee for the uh, 2022, and uh, I'm glad that uh, I, you know I was the uh, so I'm, I'm the chair for the stewardship uh, uh, session specifically this year. Uh, obviously, without that, Dibi is the speaker in that uh, session. Uh, no, no question about it. Uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm you know, I'm, uh, you know, this is, these are some examples for international uh, collaboration in terms of education. When you talk about publication, for example, uh, so uh, the British Society of Antimicrobial Chemotherapy, BSAC, they published an ebook. This is free. Uh, it's more than 400 uh, uh, pages, a huge uh, book, free. Uh, interactive, so you can click uh, on some pages and you're going to end up with a PowerPoint. 
so it's not just a book, it's a very interactive book. Uh, of course, again, Divi is, uh, is, uh, is an author in, uh, I believe, at least one chapter in that book. Um, uh, so in addition to this book, uh, so I'm involved with the national guideline and pathways uh, in Saudi. So now we are creating a pathway for colistin because it's used a lot in our country. And sometimes there are even issues with regard to the doses conversion, whether to use the milligram of the base or, or the units of the pro drug, the CMS. Uh, a lot of debates, so we are creating our own national uh, pathway to make it to make it easy and reduce the dosing mistakes uh, and the issues we are seeing in our practice in our country. Uh, another pathway related to the beta beta lactam uh, allergy, uh, in addition to uh, brucellosis uh, guideline, because brucella I know it's not common in US, but uh, in Saudi it is common. Uh, we are seeing cases, uh, you know, every few days or few weeks, um, difficult to treat, many challenges. Uh, we are using aminoglycosides as the first line therapy. So a few cases you have aminoglycoside as a first line. So one of them is uh, brucellosis. Uh, uh, long courses of therapy, many issues um, with regard to that. So we're creating this guideline. And uh, as you know, with guidelines, we have a lot of guidelines that are, you know, uh, led by physicians. But I think we need more guidelines led by pharmacists. Uh, so uh, this was the idea behind this uh, uh, guideline. Uh, as well for the publication, uh, so I think this, this might encourage some people. It, it encouraged me a lot uh, because, you know, sometimes when you work on a project and you are still an early uh, career, um, investigator. Uh, so, for example, I was a resident, uh, and uh, during my PGY1, I was working on a project, and I did not expect that this project gonna reach uh, in a good journal or had a great impact. I was just learning uh, from that project, um, but it ended up uh, being published uh, in, in in Jack, you know, one of the uh, BSAC journals, well known. Uh, published a lot of stewardship, uh, you know, uh, research. And uh, actually in 2019, uh, so it won the uh, SHP uh, Foundation uh, Literature Award in uh, Innovation in Pharmacy Practice, which is giving uh, to one uh, research every year. So I'm glad that uh, a residency project won this award. I'm, I'm, and, and I'm more glad that it was a stewardship project that won this award. And I, I always believe that stewardship is innovative, so it makes sense that it wins an, uh, an award in innovation pharmacy practice. Uh, uh, you know, clinical work, um, you know, again, uh, I'm a clinical pharmacist in the hospital, but also I like to be involved with, uh, with other hospitals, uh, even some centers outside Saudi, in, in, you know, in, in, in the region. So, uh, for example, uh, in Saudi, I was, uh, you know, a member of the national uh, antibiotic stewardship implementation team. Uh, you know, um, so I worked with them uh, for uh, around a year. Uh, it was a great experience. I learned a lot, uh, and I, I felt that the hospitals uh, I visited, uh, I think, um, also I, I thought it was uh, you know a great experience for for both, both of us. Um, basically, what happened is that the Ministry of Health they started providing this uh, team uh, that visit. You know, uh, you know. Uh, different hospitals, different settings, uh, different cities. And, uh, you know, we visit a hospital, 
uh, you know, they, they, they picked some experts in, uh, you know, combining pharmacists, physician, microbiologists, and we visit a hospital for a full day. And we visit, you know, different floors, we visit, visit the pharmacy, the microbiology lab, and we ask a lot of questions and give feedback. So this was something I, I felt that the hospitals really liked. So a full day, we give a lot of feedback, uh, and then we uh, send a report. Uh, and we ask them uh, to make a plan for improvement, and we have some recommendation. And we ask them, for example, after uh, three months, uh, you know, if you can start to start, you know, one of those stewardship, um, you know, intervention, or make this change after three months. And every three months, uh, we follow up uh, to see, uh, you know, what changed. And, uh, you know, most of it was not mandatory for the hospital to do, but it was, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, we noticed that they were very happy and they, they really appreciated the, uh, you know, this, um, you know, uh, guidance and uh, these visits. Um, and, and for us, we learned from it because, we, you know, when, when you work in your hospital and uh, if you have an, you know, um, a well-structured stewardship, for example, um, um, when you visit other hospitals with different stewardship and different settings, you know, you learn a lot, to be honest, because as you know, stewardship, uh, it's not just one uh, way, um, you know, each hospital have their own challenges, their own barriers. So every time I visit a hospital, maybe I, I go there and they, they have, they think that they are the one that, that are learning from me, but no, I'm learning a lot from them, from what I see. Um, yeah, so this is about, uh, you know, uh, clinical work. I, I got the chance uh, also to help selected hospital spend more time, about a month with them to establish stewardship program. So uh, I helped establishing some, some of the first uh, stewardship program in some of the cities. Uh, um, and, 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 and one of them actually, uh, we, um, we made a, a research out of it and uh, looking forward to publish uh, that one. Uh, they had a big misuse for uh, carbapenems and they had, they had a you know, crazy high rate of uh, CRE. But uh, after uh, you know, uh, uh, pharmacy, clinical pharmacy led uh, uh, stewardship in collaboration uh, with the other member of the stewardship team, they were able to reduce carbapenem use significantly. And uh, eventually, uh, maybe this was one of the factors that led to uh, a decrease in their uh, CRE. Uh, the last thing I, I would like to mention uh, probably is that the, uh, you know, the committees. So uh, again, I'm the chairman of the uh, PSN infectious disease uh, group in the uh, Saudi Society of Clinical Pharmacy. So for example, uh, we did the infographics for the public. We did some community awareness activities, uh, various ones. Uh, we did some educational videos uh, in, in lay language, you know, just two minutes or three minutes, maybe summarizing what they need to know about, for example, tuberculosis medication uh, being common in Saudi, uh, or, uh, you know, some general awareness about antibiotics. Um, uh, and also, uh, so the Saudi Society of Clinical Pharmacy, by the way, uh, recently they started, uh, you, know, you know, immunization certification course. And now finally in Saudi, pharmacists can uh, do the immunization and vaccination uh, themselves. So this is uh, one of the big changes in Saudi. Uh, the last thing about, uh, you know, something great happened in Saudi, which is finally it happened and I thought it was impossible, which is, uh, so, uh, as you know, many countries and most countries around the world, you can get antibiotics like an OTC. You can get it without prescription. 
And this was a problem for so many years and people felt it's impossible to change. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, finally it happened, uh, you know, uh, uh, recently. Uh, so finally it became, uh, you know, uh, mandatory with a clear, uh, you know, consequences if you, uh, you know, dispense antibiotic without prescription. And uh, finally it happened. Uh, I was honored to be uh, a member of the national committee, which sent a letter to the minister asking for this. Uh, a lot of people pushed for this and finally it happened. And uh, after that, we worked on a study, national study to compare, uh, you know, the uh, antibiotic uh, use uh, before and after this uh, new law. Uh, and we, as expected, we found it a significant uh, decrease in the uh, dispense of antibiotic uh, without prescription. Uh, but to be honest with you, it wasn't as large as we expected. We expected when we start this low, it's going to dec decrease, uh, you know, uh, it's going to be a huge decrease. But um, uh, interestingly, we know from living here that people found a way to get antibiotics, not from the community pharmacy, but from the primary care physician and from the emergency uh, department. So it's not just the community pharmacy and having this law, it's not going to solve the whole problem. We need to work with the primary care physician, with the other physician, and with the public as well, continue the public awareness. Um, yeah, this was some uh, aspects with regard to stewardship. Uh, uh, sorry if I took too much time. No, 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 not at all. I mean, that's that's an incredible breadth of work. And um, I, I just find it so interesting and um, uh, exciting that you're, a lot of the focus has been with, um, not just with folks within uh, within healthcare um, or within pharmacists specifically. I mean, you're talking about public education, you're talking about, um, you know, getting into the community and affecting change in the community outside of our, uh, outside of the hospitals and things like that. So that's very, um, very, very exciting. I'm, I'm just in awe of all of the work that's being discussed here. You know, it's it's hard to do really any kind of podcast or discussion or presentation nowadays and not talk about COVID-19 and its, uh, its impact. And um, I would say that uh, when we think about, uh, you know, the folks that were, um, you know, that were you know, very, very heavily impacted by the pandemic in, in terms of their, uh, in terms of their work. I think folks in um, antimicrobial stewardship and infectious disease in particular um, have been especially impacted. I watched so much stewardship and antimicrobial resistance funding move over to COVID, especially in the low middle income countries. Our voice needs to be heard now. You can't just continue to expect people to work for free and do all this work. So. We are at a critical point in infectious diseases, and I think it's time to just pause and pivot to what is really best of care. I don't think most people know this because it actually didn't happen, but um, once I got a WHO appointment to implement stewardship in low-middle-income countries, so one of 25 global healthcare experts, I was thrilled, but I really didn't want to go and do a workshop knowing the information goes in one ear and right out the other. I knew the only way we're really going to move the bar in stewardship is if you have someone follow those attendees into their hospital and show them how to apply what they just learned, because that's where people literally freeze. 
And so I approached the president of SIDP, it was Jason Pogue at the time, and said, I am going to Bangkok, Thailand, February of 2020, uh, presenting on the implementation of this toolkit, but I only believe it'll make a difference if we have pharmacists that can go into the hospitals and help them implement it. SIDP has talked about doing global commitment. Here's the opportunity. I've got the door open, but I need financial support and I need pharmacists that wanna do global work. And we're not talking about a year commitment. They can go for one week. Anyway, Jason took it back to the committee, uh, the board members, um, and they made a very substantial financial commitment to fund pharmacists to piggyback on to the WHO initiative. And Emily Heil uh, is going to be the first pharmacist to go with me on this WHO launch of implementing uh, stewardship in low middle income countries. And then we were going to put a call out to SIDP members uh, who would like to uh, sign up with support from SIDP. And of course, COVID um, brought that to a screeching halt and it has not yet been resumed. Thank you for that. Um, hopefully, that is a plug for the future. Absolutely. <laughs> um, finger, fingers crossed. So I think that's actually a, a perfect segue into um, how I was hoping to close this discussion. I wanted to get some insights from uh, from all of you in terms of um, you know speaking to our listeners who um, they may be in the U.S., they may be in South Africa, they may be in Saudi, they may be you know in various um, places around the world. Um, they may be from a certain country and studying in another, or practicing um, you know in another. Um, if you're interested uh, in global stewardship or perhaps want to get more information or get a little bit more uh, involved. We're all kind of at different stages um, of, of, of interest and, um, and involvement. Um, what, um, what, what tips can you provide um, or insights can you provide to, uh, to our listeners? I'll start. Um, I want to make it clear. You do not have to have a grant or work at an academic medical center to do global work. So let's just start there. Yes, it's nice to have a grant. It does facilitate a lot of things because um, it does take money in, to do some global initiatives. But COVID has taught me I can still succeed at global interactions and collaborations without the ability to travel. So that is something I want to make very clear to the audience. So what avenues are there to get involved in global stewardship? One, you can join ACCP's Global PRN. That is a great way. It is not just focused on infectious diseases, but Khalid Knight and others are members of that. And I think we have a pretty strong presence in terms of infectious diseases. You can join FIP, the Federation of International Pharmacists. They do amazing global work. Um, you can join uh, and go to Tim Gauthier's ID Stewardship. He interviews pharmacists from around the world to describe their uh, start in stewardship. And you know what? I have learned and connected with some of the people he has interviewed and you can email them and ask them, I would like to collaborate you on a writing a paper together, a stewardship initiative that you wanna do together. And it doesn't take money. It literally takes your creativity and time and willingness to do something outside of your normal area of working. 
and anything is possible on Zoom now. Uh, there's no barriers anymore. And lastly, you can use Twitter to connect. It's easy to just watch people on Twitter and go, oh, that's neat. Go the next step and make an effort to meet them. And then SIDP. So those are my recommendations. There are numerous ways to connect and engage. Those are my examples. Thanks so much for that, Debbie. Um, and we will also try to make sure to uh, link a lot of those resources that you mentioned um, as well in the uh, podcast description. Perfect. Um, Angelique and Khalid, anything to, uh, anything to add to that? I think just from my perspective, I think Debbie's recommendations are, are really great. The message I want to reiterate is that you have to be willing to put yourself out there and take that step forward. Um, so I, I had to, I'm obviously an introvert by nature, but uh, I think it's been, it's been an important skill that I've had to learn to also know that people are willing to help. So if you do just reach out and, and show interest and be curious and ask questions, and um, I think, I, I don't think people will really, everyone wants to achieve the same goal with stewardship. And if one person can help another because of the struggle that we know we've had to overcome, uh, I don't I don't think uh, anyone should be intimidated by that process. And it is about building bridges, making connections and, and really putting yourself out there to say, I'm willing to help. Can you guide me as to what I can do or where I can start? Thank you so much for that. Any, any thoughts on your end, Khalid? Yes, I totally agree. I mean, Debbie and Angelic uh, mentioned uh, great things uh, already. Um, uh, maybe uh, I'm thinking about maybe more resources. I'm trying to think about it. So I think one of the great um, resources as well for uh, stewardship uh, is the SIDP uh, uh, course for the uh, stewardship. So there is a specific course. Uh, I think it's a very nice um, you know, certification. Uh, so you, you don't only take lectures, uh, but you have to do a project, actually, an actual project, stewardship project. I think committee involvement is something also can, can help with getting more involved and getting to know more people interested in stewardship, uh, committee work. So uh, I learned from the some of the SIDP committees. Um, uh, also, um, now I'm in the External Affairs uh, Committee in, in SHEA. So uh, yeah, I got to know a lot of people interested in stewardship. The BSAC ebook I mentioned, I think this is a, a great resource. It's free. Anyone can download it for free. Uh, and then I think about it, it's not only the foundation. A lot of people are sharing their stewardship experience from their center. Uh, so I, I think this is another uh, great resource. Yep. Thank you for that, Khalid. I do want to mention SIDP is very, very, very interested in international work, as you highlighted, Debbie, uh, very interested in international membership um, to inform uh, to inform that work. And as well, uh, you don't need to be a pharmacist um, to be a contributing member um, to SIDP and contributing member to its uh, uh, to our, um, you know, to our kind of collective uh, shared vision. I will just kind of finish by highlighting a couple of themes that I thought um, really shine through in each of your uh, discussions of your work and your journey. Um, uh, I was writing them down as we were going through them. Um, first was sharing work freely. I, I thought that was so, uh, that was so interesting um, that everyone was talking about education and sharing and making sure that um, you were publishing, decentralizing your, um, your work and not just, um, uh, I think you all kind of highlighted individually, not keeping it siloed within your own 
you know, local network or small little group um, and uh, making that publicly available. Um, and obviously in the spirit um, of what we're discussing here, um, learning as much from others, I mentioned this already, but uh, learning as much from others as they learn from you. I thought that was that was great that, that each of you highlighted um, highlighted that. And, and one thing that I really wanted to highlight is that um, everyone in this group is so achieved and I just feel very humbled um, just being able to, to speak with you all and sharing this time with you. Um, but you all just really talked about not necessarily your own work, but the work of others and the work of what other people were doing and the community was doing and, um, you know, uh, the work that each other are doing. Um, so I, I really just love that and feel like um, I don't know that that just seems like the, the the spirit of stewardship, regardless of, you know, regardless of where you are and, and, and the way things really should be so. Um, and then um, uh, one of the last things I'll say is um, uh, recognizing and, and elevating the important work of uh, pharmacists and how they are just incredible resources for antimicrobial stewardship. And I think in, in really each of your stories of you know, emphasis on the word recognition that um, that it was, you know, there were already pharmacists there and kind of investing in your pharmacists and, um, you know, imparting the knowledge or the skills, um, you know, uh, what have you and, and empowering to do that work, um, you know, um, on their own um, is was was just very, um, very inspiring. And then one, the last thing I'll say um, to kind of reiterate uh, again is that, um, you know, we are one world and the things that happen um, in one country or one area certainly impact from just an epidemiological standpoint, um, as we've uh, very much so learned from COVID, you know, what happens in one place impacts um, what happens in another. And so having that global perspective and recognizing the importance of of, of the work that we are each doing, uh, regardless of, you know, where we are and um, actually elevating the fact that uh, making sure that uh, we are all doing this work uh, throughout the world is, is really important. Thank you so much, Khalid. Thank you, Angelique. Thank you, Debbie, uh, for, for taking the time to, to talk to us all today. Um, and, and to our listeners, um, I, I truly hope uh, that you are inspired to, um, at the very least, learn more about global stewardship, uh, if not to get involved um, in global stewardship. So, so thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Breakpoints, the Society of Infectious Diseases Pharmacists podcast. I've been your host, David Ha, and our featured speakers have been Debbie Goff, Khalid El Jali, and Angelique Messina. Breakpoints was created by Julianne Justo, Aaron Mercury, and Jason Pogue. This episode was produced by Rachel Britt and Jillian Hayes. It was edited by Zara Kasamali Escobar, Eileen Ayaskali, and Corey Medler. Our production team includes Anna Tsao and Veronica Zafon. The executive producer of Breakpoints is Aaron McCurry. Our theme song was recorded by SIDP member Steve Smoke. You can subscribe to Breakpoints on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and helping SIDP achieve our vision of safe and effective antimicrobials for now and the future.